Here on Dog Edition, we often talk about the superpowers that dogs have. From sniffing out truffles to finding lost ashes and bringing comfort to dementia patients. But today on the show, we're exploring whether dogs have the power to do something truly remarkable, to change the course of history. To mobilize the indifferent. And garner dog lovers everywhere for the greater good, no matter what your allegiance. Hello, I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Claire Mansell in London, England. Welcome to Dog Edition. Where voices from around the world consider all things dog. Dog Edition is the first show designed for you to listen to while you walk your dogs. Today on the show, dogs. Packs of stray dogs were roaming around Capitol Hill. Voters. Could we be united by fur? Could you set aside your political leanings and passions and remind yourself of, wait a minute, I am also a dog person. And politicians. Some of the qualities that dogs have should be qualities of our elected officials, but are not. So if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's go for a walk. We've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey, Pepper, want to go for a walk? Here in the U.S., we are just weeks away from an election that will decide the control of Congress for the next two years. And so we at Dog Podcast Network have decided to do our part to get people to turn out to the polls here in the U.S. and all over the globe. Voting is the absolute bedrock of democracy. And it's critical that people get informed and then go out and support the candidates that will best represent their interests and fight for the issues that matter to them. And don't forget to take your dogs if possible. At least that's what we do here, but I'll come to that. That's right. We are so proud to present our nonpartisan Get Out the Vote campaign. We're calling it wag the vote and we would love to encourage you to participate in the voting process wherever you live because after all if dogs could vote they would it's the right thing to do (laughs) this episode will be all about the intersection of dogs and politics yes there is one we chose to release this episode this week to coincide with america's dogs in politics day which is september the 23rd Dogs in Politics Day was born to commemorate the anniversary of a speech by Richard Nixon. It was called his Checker Speech, which occurred on that very same day. I come before you tonight as a candidate for the vice presidency and as a man whose honesty and and integrity has been questioned. Nixon is going to be kicked off of Eisenhower's presidential ticket because there's there's this scandal that he's taking these gifts that he shouldn't be taking from wealthy Republican donors. And he goes on TV. The Eisenhower people think Nixon's going to resign. But instead, Nixon gives this speech defending himself and exonerating himself. And at the end, he says, we did receive this dog as a gift. It was a little Cocker Spaniel dog in a crate that he sent all the way from Texas. Black and white, spotted. And our little girl, Tricia, the six-year-old, named it Checkers. And you know, the kids, like all kids, love the dog. And I just want to say this right now, that regardless of what they say about it, we're going to keep it. He kind of like wraps up the speech by like focusing on this dog. And next thing you know, the Eisenhower campaign is getting all these telegrams like, oh, don't get rid of this nice man. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. 
really boost Nixon's image. That was then California Senator Richard Nixon. Yeah, that Richard Nixon. But he was running for vice presidency at the time. And the other voice is Andrew Hager. Andrew is the historian in residence at the Presidential Pet Museum. The Checker speech is considered to have changed political discourse in America. It was the first nationally televised address and reached an audience of 60 million. It was also credited with saving Nixon's career. It really did. Of course, dogs in politics in the U.S. go way back to the foundation of the country. George Washington had a number of dogs, and there are records of lawmakers who are bringing their dogs to Capitol Hill as early as the 1800s. And to go back to the really early Republic, early 19th century, there was um, a senator named John Randolph of Roanoke, who was a very eccentric and combative uh, member of Congress. I do know that he brought his dogs onto the floor with him when he served in the House of Representatives until Speaker Henry Clay maybe to just get on his nerves, had the rules changed so that he was not allowed to do so. And he moved over to the Senate later in the 1920s. I'm not sure if he continued to bring his dogs onto the Senate floor at that time, but it is possible. Dan Holt is the assistant historian at the Senate Historical Office. He says now only service dogs are allowed onto the floor. And the last time that happened was in 1997, when a staffer for Senator Ron Wyden was allowed to bring her seeing eye dog. But Capitol Hill, and the Senate in particular, is a very dog-friendly environment. It's pretty simple. You know, you can just come in through security and make sure that your dog gets, uh, you know, checked out by Capitol Police. There is lots of green space around Capitol Hill. Um, most of the time, you're supposed to stay off the grass. So I don't know how much the police appreciate people, uh, staff, or otherwise walking their dogs on the grass. But once you're in the building, you know, as long as you're on your leash with your owner, you're welcome to take a walk around. And senators themselves sponsor dog-centric activities. The Hart building that many senators work in has a really large atrium. And one of the things that they've done with that atrium space is to host events involving dogs. Annually, they have a, a Halloween parade with dogs all dressed up in costume, which is really cute. I'm just adding that to the list of things I want to see in my lifetime. That sounds amazing. And Jim, you're familiar with the Senate, aren't you? You've worked there? I was actually, I served one full term. I was actually there for six years, uh, starting at age 12. I was one of those Senate pages that you see. What? Yeah, you, you see them on the floor of the Senate. So I, that was where I spent some very formative years and learned a little bit about the Senate. But I was only there in the summers, so six summers, and I never was there at Halloween to see such a thing. Oh. But they had ice cream day in the summers, I know that, but I never saw the dogs getting dressed up for Halloween. Do you get paid as a 12-year-old doing this? I did. I, I still have those pay stubs from uh, from when I was doing it. I, I think my first annual compensation, as if it had been a full salary was it like $1,800 or something like that? It was Whoa! a long time ago. But it For was. For 12 year olds? Uh, it, was, it was a lot of responsibility. We, we'll talk about that sometime. <laughs> That's amazing. I have an 11 year old. How soon can I get them employed? That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so, going back to the work environment, which you've experienced there, apparently during the 1950s and the 60s, that's when the Hill really becomes the kind of modern dog friendly environment that we know today. That's when you start to get some notable dogs on the hill, like Senator Harry Byrd of Virginia. He had a, uh, a Cocker Spaniel named Happy that he used to bring to his Senate office. And when Bobby Kennedy was elected in uh, 1965, he found out that Byrd 
was bringing his dog into the office and asked if it was okay to bring his dog named Brumus, who was a, a quite a large dog and a bit of a troublemaker, it, it turned out. Senator Robert Byrd, longtime senator from West Virginia, was um, a, a lover of animals and had dogs his whole life. And he was known for bringing his dog into the Capitol and to spend some time in his office. Those senators, Senators Byrd and Byrd, spelled differently, were actually there in the mid-1980s when I was there at the Senate. But decades earlier, dogs, all kinds of dogs, both stray dogs and pet dogs, could be found around the grounds of the House and the Senate. Packs of stray dogs were roaming around Capitol Hill, and this became especially a problem in 1959 when construction was being done on the East Front to expand the Capitol, and a number of dogs, stray dogs, took up living amongst the construction materials. And so it became the job of Capitol Police to go out and try and round up these dogs. And one of the notable things I found was that they were equipped with lassos that they were supposed to use like the Wild West to wrangle these poor dogs uh, to be able to get them out of the construction zone. That is quite an amazing image. Can you imagine just like a lasso and a, just not, not, not the best image for, for the Capitol? No. Dan says that in the last few years, the Senate has acted on some dog-related legislation, things to help make dog lives better in the United States and for the people who love them. Hey, that sounds a lot like us, right? <laughs> One in particular had to do with making sure that the government provides service dogs to veterans. Oh, definitely a cause that I can get behind. And another wonderful example, of course, of what dogs can do. Dan himself has a nine-month-old cockapoo named Alfredo. His kids call him Alfie for short. And if Alfredo had the opportunity to vote, there are some things he would like to endorse. He would just appreciate more treats. He would appreciate fewer restrictions on his ability to jump on furniture. If there was uh, any legislation that would allow dogs to walk on the dining room table, I think you would get out to vote for that. We should let dogs vote because dogs are better than people. That is Robert Kahn. Robert is a columnist for the Courthouse News. Dogs won't vote for a bad dog. Go to any dog park and you see all kinds of dogs playing together. Black, white, brown, even mixed breeds. Whoa. Dogs like to have fun, and they don't mind if they see other dogs having fun. Dogs won't punish another dog by putting them in a cage for years. All they'll do is try to get their bone back, and then they'll keep on playing. Now, the question is, of course, how do you know which way a dog wants to vote? I'd say probably a dog would vote for the nicer person. Robert recently wrote an op-ed column entitled, Let Dogs Vote. A dog won't lie. A dog can't lie. A dog doesn't do anything immoral. A dog can't do anything immoral. Now, the piece, of course, was satire, kind of. But Bob says the question at the heart of the piece was this. Why has American politics become so nasty? It didn't used to be this way. It didn't eat five, ten years ago. If you found out your neighbor was a Republican, so what? And now if your neighbor finds out you're a Democrat or Republican, people won't speak to each other. I have to say it's the same with Brexit in the UK, so it's not a uniquely American problem. It would be so much simpler if we were all just like dogs. Some of the qualities that dogs have should be qualities of our elected officials, but are not. He says the system is screwed up. 
and he clearly has strong opinions about how the US got to this point. But the good news is that he remains hopeful that Americans can fix it. You have to register to vote and you have to vote, especially young people register to vote and then vote, damn it. Maybe that's what we should call this whole campaign, vote, damn it. Yeah, anyway. Bob has two dogs, a husky greyhound mix named Titus and an Anatolian shepherd lab mix named Cleo. And they are single issue voters. Those dogs are. They just want more money for good dog parks. I would pretty much vote for any British candidate that promised better dog parks, by the way, Jim, because the ones in Canada are so much better than we have here. We went out to the streets and dog parks around the world to find out what other people thought about voting and dogs. If my dog could vote, I think that he would vote for more dog parks on every corner with bacon dispensers. Um, walkable, safe streets. Mosquito spraying, which drives her nuts in the neighborhood, and um, how the issues around toiletry in the forest. What would my dog... Um climate change, you know, things that affect the world, right? I think we need to prepare or we're just going to be in a bad position, right? More dog-friendly restaurants. My dog actually brought up to another county commissioner that we needed dog watering stations on the boardwalk on Solomon's Island. And you know what? We got them. Oh my God. Go Casey. After the break, we'll explore some more the public relationship between dogs and elected officials. We'll talk more about Wag the Vote and... Maybe in some way, Pushinka is, is what saves us all from nuclear catastrophe. Stick around. We will be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, grassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. <laughs> it infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, <laughs> I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpop, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpop is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Dog Edition. During the 2020 presidential campaign, a group called Dog Lovers for Joe released an ad in support of then-candidate Joe Biden. The ad showed pictures of previous presidents from both parties with their dogs, and the ad said that Donald Trump's presidency marked the first time in more than 100 years that there was no dog in the White House. It closed in a photo of Joe Biden and Champ, his dog at the time, and then the words, Choose your humans wisely. Rob Swartz is the man behind Dog Lovers for Joe. He's an ad executive by trade and was responsible for the commercial. He says the pictures of the presidents with their pets project authenticity. The dogs have trouble lying. They like who they like and they're leery of who they're leery of. <laughs> and it's not something you can manufacture. The dogs telegraph the honesty and the integrity. The ad campaign hoped to reach dog lovers across the aisle as well. When you look at the high penetration of dog ownership, it's close to 70% in America. When you start to look at the red states that have the highest dog ownership, Alabama, Alaska, Wyoming, West Virginia, Idaho, Arkansas, I mean, these are like heartland red Republican states with high dog ownership. And our thinking was, could we be united by fur? Could you set aside your political leanings and passions and remind yourself of, wait a minute, I am also a dog person. Rob says people love the tagline, choose your humans wisely. I do too. On the one hand, it comes as a cautionary tale from the dogs. The dogs are telling you, choose your humans wisely. And it's a, you know, from person to person, it's, this is the most important election of our lifetime, so let's be very mindful about who we pick. The ad is built on the premise that dogs allow politicians to prove their worthiness to voters. I think that is beautiful, and, and I think they do do that. Now that you've returned to England, mm -hmm. when you think about political advertising in Great Britain, do you see a lot of political ads with people and their dogs? No. I mean, I don't really see a lot of political ads. We have kind of um, TV broadcasts leading up to an election and there are, it's very closely sort of monitored. They have a certain amount of time and it's on certain channels. It's all very equal. Mm -hmm. But those political broadcasts tend to be very dull. And there's certainly never anything as interesting as I'm hearing about with dogs involved. So you don't see like biopics and all sorts of, I've seen banners all over during election times in Great Britain but they don't have photos with like family photos and, and you get you don't get to really get in depth no. and know what the politician is like no and i think huh. i think maybe we'd be better off if some of this actually some of the americanisms were brought over here 
That would be good. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> we spend a lot of money on political advertising here. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it helps at least get people familiar with the candidates. There is one more thing that dogs can do when it comes to politics. And it actually may be the most important thing, as far as this episode is concerned at least, which is that dogs can help turn out the vote. As it happens, we here at Dog Podcast Network were not the first people to want to create a dog-centric, nonpartisan voter turnout campaign. We weren't even the first to call it Wag the Vote. I'm Erica Herman, and I am the co-creator of Wag the Vote. And I am Sherry Aronson, uh, the other co-creator of Wag the Vote. Their Wag the Vote campaign started in 2017 and has now run its course. Erica says that they were responding to a prompt from a nonpartisan civic engagement group called Citizen University to participate in the Joy of Voting project. The goal of that project was to experiment with creative ways to spark participation in local voting. We responded to that call with Wag the Vote, which was designed to sort of capitalize on the natural tendency of dogs as social bridges and social objects that are kind of the superheroes of sparking casual conversation among strangers. Shari says that having a beautiful dog with you makes the world a difference when approaching people to mm. give them voting information. I mean, it, it makes the <laughs> world a difference in any kind of social contact, doesn't it? In Minnesota, we have same-day registration, voter registration, but not everyone knows that. And not everyone knows where to go to vote or where to get that information. So by packing, you know, little pamphlets and little information and just a friendly conversation onto a dog walk or a dog appearance at like a farmer's market or a college campus, it became a really um, fun way to get that information out to people. The centerpiece of the campaign was Erica's dog, Marco. Sadly, Marco is no longer with us. He was a collie who looked very much like Lassie. We had ideas about pop-up kiosks or Wag the Vote, where we'd have Marco dressed in his voter registration dog vest and wearing his vote wearables. We had made these props that other dog owners could use with their dog that said, you know, colorful props that said vote, and that dogs could hold in their mouth or people could hold up. And then we ended up doing a lot of migrating a lot of the project to the social media world. And so we had a website and we had a Facebook presence, Twitter and Instagram. And part of the project then became about getting other dog owners to take pictures of their dog and post and share, you know, that they were voting, what their plan was to vote. And if you're curious to know what Marco looked like in his voting best, and he did look great, have a look at your podcast app because Erica was kind enough to send us a photo of Marco to use for this episode's cover art. They only had five weeks to run the entire campaign. And so when they first found out that they had received the Joy of Voting grant, they were worried that they wouldn't be able to execute anything meaningful. But the staff encouraged them to try stuff out and experiment. They were forced to simplify, which ended up being very freeing. 
Erica says that they reached out to their county election office who loved the idea and welcomed a partnership. The county office even printed Wag the Vote signs on the same kind of sandwich boards they usually have at polling stations on election day. And those were used for pop-up appearances in areas with lots of foot traffic. The Wag the Vote campaign also asked someone on Etsy who makes custom dog vests to print them a voter registration dog vest with their logo and a big vote today sign for election day. That's a lot to get done in little over a month. And you know what? Despite the short turnaround time to make all this happen, these two had already thought ahead of how to make the campaign scale up. To really have a great impact, you would want a whole fleet of dogs. And, you know, in the larger vision that Erica and I brainstormed, you would use Marco as a model to train in other people who could be walking their dogs in their neighborhoods with their little vests and with their resources about where to vote and when to vote uh, and how to vote. Given the nature of the project, there is not a lot of hard data to measure success, but they did get their campaign showcased to a massive audience. Their Wag the Vote campaign was featured on Dogs of Instagram, with over 5 million followers. I just reached out to them via their website and they have a a method for submitting photographs. So they quite quickly got back to me and she then said, we'd be more interested in having a video. So they really wanted to feature us on their stories. And so luckily I had, we had some good videos and this was one of my favorites of, you know, of Marco just barreling towards the camera in his voter regalia with carrying the flag and then kind of crashing into the camera person. Erica recalls that Dogs of Instagram published that video to their stories the day before the election, which is about as good timing (laughs) as you could ask for. Yeah, they were able to maximize the impact of their campaign. Erica says that Marco was a therapy dog at Minnesota's Children's Hospital, and if he could have voted he would have supported universal health care and funding for open spaces and innovative parks. Marco is a smart dog. And Shari doesn't have a dog, but she does have a cat. And he believes in the Green New Deal. And she says because he didn't get to decide what happened to his own reproductive rights, he would also support a return of abortion and reproductive health rights. Hmm. And so we find ourselves with great pause to fill in our Wag the Vote campaign. Look out for the hashtag Wag the Vote on social media. We will also be releasing more information about the campaign in the coming days and weeks because this doesn't end in November of this year. This is an ongoing initiative from Dog Podcast Network, including calls to actions. You'll find all of that on a website that we're putting together, which you can find at wagthevote.org. You won't be surprised to hear me say this, but I have been taking notes and I'm pretty sure that Jim Sharia and Erica's ideas would probably work quite well in the UK, especially as many people here already bring their dogs to the polls. Did you know that? You said something about that at the top of the show. What what, what do you mean? They actually bring them into the polling stations? Yeah, uh, well, not into the polling stations. So this is something that has uh, been going on for quite a while now. So um, every time we have a vote, unless we get a new prime minister without having a general election, I mean, when did that happen in recent history? <laughs> so dogs at polling stations is an internet trend that started at the 2015 general election and really caught on. 
You aren't allowed to take the dogs or a camera into the polling station, but you can leave the dogs outside and you can take photos of them sort of tied up next to the polling station sign. And so this kind of thing started spreading on social media of lots of dogs sort of tied up outside the polling station. And it became so popular that Boris Johnson even took his rescue dog, Dylan, with him to vote in 2019. (laughs) And interesting little observation, because I checked this, the voter turnout for the last three general elections since dogs at polling stations hashtag has become a thing has actually been higher than the turnouts for the previous three elections. So maybe dogs really are the key to saving democracy. I am so excited about that. I I really, truly believe that. You are listening to this episode because you are a dog lover, and dogs really would encourage us to vote. In fact, dogs may have already saved democracy once before. Andrew Hager, who helped tell the story of the Nixon checker speech at the beginning of this episode. He has a wonderful anecdote also about John F. Kennedy's dog, whose name was Pushinka. She was given to the Kennedys by Nikita Khrushchev, who was at the time the premier of the Soviet Union, our mortal enemy. But they they had a summit in 1961, and he and Jackie are sitting next to each other at a table. He's telling her about Belka and Strelka, who were these dogs that the Russians had sent into space and returned safely to Earth. Strelka had just had puppies and Jackie says, oh, you have to send me one, you know, kind of the way that if you told me you had a beach house, I'd be like, oh, yeah, you got to have me out to your beach house sometime. And you would say, yeah, and then we'd never remember it and it would never happen. Except Khrushchev actually sent the puppy to Jackie with a little Russian passport and the FBI had to come over and examine the dog for explosive devices and listening devices. And once they determined that the dog was good to go, the dog became part of the Kennedy family. And, and then, uh, you know, about a year later, you've got the Cuban Missile Crisis where the world comes to the brink of nuclear war. And the military advisors for both governments are telling Kennedy and Khrushchev, you know, like, we're going to have to go nuclear. This is going to get ugly. And this is it. We need to attack now. And both of these guys back away from the brink. And it's been suggested that, you know, maybe in some way Pushinka is is what saves us all from nuclear catastrophe. I mean, if somebody gives you a dog, are you likely to look at that person and think, oh, he's obviously evil and soulless and I should drop a nuclear bomb on him? That is such an awesome story. And it comes back to what we were touching on earlier in this show, this idea of dogs acting as social bridges. And that's exactly, it's the same thing again, that there's, it builds a connection between humans. And I think it's incredible. Dogs really can make a difference. They can save democracy. They can help us get out the vote. Please vote. Please vote. Tell everyone <laughs> to vote because dogs will do it. Please, please, please. And dogs can help us start conversations with friends and strangers on small issues and on big issues. Those conversations that you heard earlier, both from Andrew Hager and Rob Schwartz, those came from interviews that I conducted for our sister program, which is called The Long Leash. And if you'd like to hear those extended interviews, you can do that. Those are on thelongleashshow.com. We will have links to that in the show notes for today's episode. Those episodes and all our other Dog Podcast Network shows are available in your favourite podcast app. So please do follow along to Dog Edition and our sister programmes so you can take us along on your dog walk next time. And don't forget to check out our Wag the Vote pages on social media and see what we're doing and keep up with us on this initiative at wagthevote.org. 
I'm Claire Mansell. And I'm James Jacobson. Thank you so much for listening today. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. And don't forget, please vote. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.